Hello and welcome to the Deeper Podcast, a podcast that's all about how we can live a life that brings a little bit more courage and a little bit more love into our daily lives. I'm Reverend Sean, one of your hosts, and today on the podcast, we are continuing our series about regeneration, about what it means to move with the currents of life, to find ourselves participating in the great drama, the great unfolding of life itself, knowing that we can just play our part. You know, the series, I think, is so perfectly timed with spring. And even though here in northern Colorado, it has been super windy for like literally two weeks, I feel like um, I'm happy that I uh, have remained in northern Colorado because I could have just as easily be swept to um, Wyoming or Utah, depending on the day. But today we are going to be hearing from Reverend Elaine. She's, pre- she's preaching about uh, the, the practice of observation as a way of participation in regeneration. And so to kind of set this stage, we want to share with you a reflection that was posted on Facebook by the Reverend Meg Riley. Meg is the current co-moderator of the UUA. Um, and she was also the minister of the Church of the Larger Fellowship, which is our largest online congregation in the Unitarian Universalist Association that also extends their ministry deep into uh, those who are incarcerated in our prison systems. She posted this on Facebook a couple weeks ago. In prayer this morning, a deep cry. The kind you can only have in your own home when you are the only person there with your cat laying across your heart chakra. Realized in the cry that I have been using my anxiety as a weird, miserable flotation device, as if being anxious, as if by being anxious, I am resisting all of the evil around me. Putin white supremacy culture, all of it, and that my being anxious is not helping the world. What I need to practice is alignment to what is alive. And I thought of one of the most profound teachers I've ever encountered. It was one of the imprisoned people who were part of the congregation of the Church of the Larger Fellowship. We were offering a class called Full Spectrum Joy, developed by f- for free, pe- free world people, and adapted for imprisoned people by Amanda Aikman. The premise of the class was that you engage in a practice that leads you to more joy using each color of the rainbow as a reminder. The practice for green was to find something alive and pay attention to it. The way the class worked was that the people who took them would write their comments and forward them, and we would compile them and keep them circulating. So we got to see what they were learning and sharing. One of the people wrote about green, that he was in solitary confinement with no windows, so he thought there was nothing alive in the cell. But then he saw an ant, an ant on the floor. He spent time laying on the floor studying that ant, and he indeed felt more joy. I think of this when I feel as if I am surrounded by death culture, that nothing is alive. If that man could find something alive, however preposterous, how preposterous that I tell myself I cannot. Today is it is music to help me lay down my burdens and take infinitesimally small concrete steps towards collective liberation. Find something alive and pay attention to it. This practice reminds me of this kind of comical practice that I have when I'm in social situations that I find either boring or uncomfortable, I um, 
I pretend to put on my Margaret Wheatley anthropologist hat, and I look and observe the experience of life um, from kind of an outside perspective. You know, I was once at a at a dance show, I think it was, and it wasn't a particularly good one. Um, but I put my hat on, and I was like, "Huh, isn't it interesting that these humans gather to watch other humans move their bodies?" Oh, isn't that interesting that those humans can move their bodies in ways that these other humans can't? Oh, isn't it interesting? I wonder why they picked these, this music. And there was something in that practice that kind of got me out of my own judgment, kind of suspended my own perceptions of things, and it allowed me access into the experience in a new way. It really allowed me to align to what was going on without kind of my judgment about whether something was good or bad. I just got to experience it as what was. And I think that practice is so important, especially, which is what Elaine is going to get into in just a moment, is so important when we've been through a period of time that has been really challenging in which life has seemed to be stripped away from us, both in real ways, in tangible ways, so the death of loved ones, the restriction of our lives, but also in these intangible ways, the loss of a sense of safety, a loss of a faith in other people, a loss in a way of being that we didn't know we held so dear. And Elaine is going to share about these sorts of losses as ambiguous losses, losses that are hard to nail to the wall. They're kind of like nailing jello to the wall to get a handle on them. And yet they still weigh us down. They still invite grief into our lives. And so what do we do with that? So I'm going to turn over to Elaine, uh, and she's going to share her message about how we can align towards life, especially in this time of ambiguous loss and the kind of pandemic social atrophy. So I had an interaction with a family member this winter that was kind of strange. And even though it was something small, it was so representative of the kind of minor but significantly weird things that keep happening in my life. So let me give you some context. As you might know, our family moved to Fort Collins nearly two years ago in June 2020 in the heart of early pandemic times. So this was like Clorox wiping down the cereal boxes, letting the mail sit out for a day before touching it kind of early pandemic times. We really didn't know what was going on yet. And like... We didn't go inside a single building on our drive between Minneapolis and Fort Collins, but uh, don't think too hard about what that might imply. Anyway, a few months later, in fall 2020, my parents also moved here. We had a very intentional plan to live close to each other in order to offer each other mutual support and to enjoy life together. I had not lived in the same state as my parents since I left home at age 18. So this was a big shift. This was new territory. My entire experience of living in Fort Collins, including my experience as a minister at Foothills, my experience living in the same town as my family, my social experience, everything, has occurred in a pandemic context. And because we have some high-risk people in our family, the patterns that we laid down during those times looked like 
only visiting each other while wearing masks outdoors, or grandparents helping my kids with homework over Zoom. And so then you fast forward to this past winter, just a few months ago, my family and I were at my parents' house for dinner. And this felt so good. This seemed like a miracle to share a meal together indoors, to sit on the couch, to feel myself surrounded by objects and decorations that felt so familiar. It was like getting a big hug that I didn't realize I needed so badly. And then I realized that this was the first time in over a year of living in the same place that we had ever had dinner at my parents' house. We had been in a pod together. My children had gone over to their house alone multiple times, but we had not gone over there as a family for dinner. And I think that there was one reason for this and one reason only. Up until that day, it had simply never occurred to us. And then I had this second revelation that it had never occurred to me that I could invite them over to my house for dinner. Even though we had recently acquired a large dining room table expressly for that purpose, in my mind, that was still just a someday that I was waiting around for. So the whole point of us making this big move to Fort Collins, this big sacrifice, was to be together. And it was undeniable that my imaginative capacity regarding what was possible in this newfound togetherness, it was really blocked. This felt like a kind of atrophy of the imagination. I had gotten so used to all the strange new socially distanced ways of being together that I had kind of forgotten about the basics of what's possible in human togetherness, like sharing a meal inside with your family. And it's not that I don't want to do things like this. <laughs> the irony is that I still spend a lot of time thinking about how much I long to be with people. And I want to go out and do all the things I used to do and have all the people over. I want to get to know you, the people at Foothills, so much better. And I find myself just unthinkingly sticking to my socially distanced ways. And this social and imaginative atrophy has been one of the multiple ambiguous losses that I have experienced in this pandemic. Ambiguous loss is a loss that remains unclear and without a sense of resolution. And though we may long for it with ambiguous loss, that sense of resolution may never be achieved. For example, ambiguous loss occurs when someone is still physically present but psychologically gone, or the reverse, someone still feels psychologically present with us even though they are physically gone. It could be a loss without official verification, such as somebody going missing, or it could look like estrangement from a family member. These ambiguous losses, what they have in common is that they have no ritual markers, no cultural recognition, and this can make them especially isolating and disorienting. 
Like there's no way to get your arms around these kinds of losses. There's nothing to hold on to, nothing to validate your experience or to guide you. For Pauline Boss, the theorist who first coined the term ambiguous loss, the COVID-19 pandemic has generated many ambiguous losses in ways that have been both extreme and also very subtle. You could say that ambiguous loss has been a hallmark of this pandemic. So here are some examples. The loss of the ability to be in community as we mourn deaths and celebrate major life transitions. The loss of a sense of safety regarding your health and the health of those you love. Loss of confidence in leaders and authorities. Loss of confidence in fellow citizens' willingness to look out for the greater good. Losses of learning in children. Losses of large group gatherings that bring joy and connection. Here in Colorado, the wildfires that we have endured over the last two years have not only brought losses of property, but losses in those natural areas we hold dear and losses to our sense of safety and security. And then there's the loss of being in community in simple, easy, and familiar ways. And even though things are so much more better than they were, and in so many ways we're kind of approximating back to normal, there's still a lot to navigate and just so many decisions still. Are you vaccinated? Should we hug? Are we shaking hands? How's the ventilation in this place? How will what I'm doing right now impact high-risk people in my bubble? And what do I do with all this kind of copious and ambiguous information about a possible recent exposure to COVID? It's really hard to figure out. And then there might also just be extra layers of challenge and ambiguity around major life losses that have transpired during the pandemic, like a divorce, a job loss, serious illness or death. When we experience loss, we often long for resolution, for that thing that people talk about called closure that I'm not really sure is real, the idea of closure often remains elusive, even in the most stark and straightforward of circumstances. As far as I can tell, we don't get over major losses. We learn to live with them. And over time, we see that the waves of pain and grief, they get spaced out further and further, and we can feel their intensity decrease over time. But with ambiguous loss, we are experiencing grief for which we are really unprepared, unprepared as individuals, and we're unprepared as a society to handle grief that we might not even have a name for, grief that doesn't quite have a place. And so that impulse towards resolution might feel especially frustrating. We might find ourselves desperate for clarity, for a timeline. So we can know what to expect and we'll know how and when we will move on from this. Or we might find ourselves just waiting and waiting around for things to get back to normal. And we just realize we're putting our lives on pause indefinitely. The truth about ambiguous loss, 
as with all loss, is that there is no going back to our life from before. And whatever future we had imagined and expected before the loss, it's not going to happen. And try as we might, we cannot force it into being. Our lives will keep unfolding into the future in their way, shaped by these things that have happened or things that have not happened, shaped by us and by systems and by luck and change and mystery. And so the question is, how do we navigate loss in our personal lives and in our communal life and regenerate life, vitality, and joy? And specifically, what does regeneration look like in this context of the multiple ambiguous losses we've accrued by this point through living through COVID-19? One tool Pauline Boss suggests, Pauline Boss is our theorist who created the term ambiguous loss, something she suggests is both and thinking, holding and honoring two contradictory truths at the same time. With ambiguous loss, this can take our focus off of waiting for resolution and getting relief through some idea of perfect closure. And instead, it helps us regenerate our lives and continue moving along our life path by naming what is real and helping us to see that there's more than one possibility for truth. And this can be so helpful with our imaginative atrophy, this both and thinking. When there is more than one truth at hand, the possibilities for moving forward multiply and we gain momentum. It's like the scope of our vision is amplified. Both and thinking is an intellectually honest way to help us get less stuck. So here are some pandemic both ands for me. This has been a hard time, and this has been a time of growth. This has been a time of sacrifice, and this has been a time of abundance. I'm sad about my child's academic losses from virtual school, and that challenge helped us better understand how to support her learning. Caregiving in my family during the pandemic has been exhausting and consuming. And caregiving in my family has been a source of meaning and connection. I miss the uncomplicated social events from before COVID. And I am enjoying the company of people in my life right now. And I continue to feel my way into new modes of togetherness. To quote Carl Jung, only the paradox comes anywhere near to comprehending the fullness of life. When we engage in both and thinking, we are embracing the wisdom of the paradox, something that seems contradictory but is actually true. The paradox is a spiritual reality that humans have revered across time and culture. So I want to invite us now to hold this both and thinking, to hold this notion of paradox in our hands for a moment, or maybe you just want to put it in your pocket. 
hold it as one tool for regenerating our lives in the wake of pandemic ambiguous loss. And you know, if you want to just forget about it entirely, that's okay too, because I will remind you about it later. So I don't want you to stress. I want to share a second tool for coping with grief and loss. And you know, I could use my own words for this, but Barbara Kingsolver describes it so beautifully in her essay, High Tide at Tucson. So I'll use her words instead. Barbara Kingsolver writes the following. Each one of us is called upon, probably many times, to start a new life. A frightening diagnosis, a marriage, a move, a loss of job or limb or loved one, a graduation, bringing a new baby home. It's impossible to think at first how this all will be possible. Eventually, what moves it all forward is the subterranean ebb and flow of being alive among the living. King Solver continues, In my own worst seasons, I've come back from the colorless world of despair by forcing myself to look hard for a long time at a single glorious thing. A flame of red geranium outside my bedroom window, and then another, my daughter in a yellow dress, and another, the perfect outline of a full dark sphere behind the crescent moon until I learned to be in love with my life again. Like a stroke victim, retraining new parts of the brain to grasp lost skills, I have taught myself joy over and over again. I love this. Looking hard at a single glorious thing as a way of learning to be in love with life again. Teaching yourself joy through noticing beauty over and over again. I have been drawn to this practice by beholding beauty and aliveness lately in a place that might sound obvious, but I know is actually a pretty unlikely place which is my backyard. It is a mess. And I want to acknowledge that this is not the first, but the second messy ministerial backyard to make it into a sermon on this in this series on regeneration. Reverend Gretchen talked about hers a couple of weeks ago, but it is the place that is teaching my soul right now. So at first glance in my backyard, there are not a lot of glorious things to behold right now. I see a lot of kid toys strewn across the yard. I see places where the fence is broken. The cracking paint is everywhere. And everything living in the yard needs to be trimmed back. But I haven't brought myself to do it yet. And so the unintended but beautiful impact of not tending to my yard is that I'm starting to see all these green plants spring up out of the ground and just overtake the dry deadness left over from last year. 
And there's one plant in particular, I think it's maybe some kind of lily, like a daylily or something. And the green sprouts are so bold and unapologetic in their vigor. And it kind of looks like hair standing on end. And then last year's remains are just lying there, hay colored on the ground, totally fine with seeding last year's territory to this new crop of green growth. And I go out and just behold this overlay of life and death every day lately. It's exactly what I need to see right now over and over again. The husks of last year's garden sitting quietly while the glossy newness of this year's plant overtakes them. This is the embodiment of the both and of life, dead and alive. Last year's plant is both gone and still there. Life ends and life goes on. Things change and things stay the same. Something or someone can be both here and not here, with us and God at the same time, both and. And this very unique combination of beholding one glorious thing and practicing this both and mentality, it is everywhere in the world right now. Well, not in the world, but here in the Northern Hemisphere, in this springtime landscape, we're just surrounded by it. In the stark branches of leafless trees that are covered in tiny buds, in the flower bed covered with dead leaves, in the green and brown lawn. I see it in the child who is so grown up and yet still so incredibly young. And it's my challenge to us to go out and find beauty in the world. Notice it, behold it, reverence it. And then let it teach us about the both and, about regenerating our lives after loss. The story does not have to be tidy and resolved and binary in order to be true. Invite your observations, your noticings, invite it to show you that everything living will die and the force of life will knock us down with its power. Invite your observations to inform your own life. I seem to have forgotten how to invite my own family over for dinner, and I know they'll be ready when I finally invite them. Invite your observations to inform your community life. We are losing parts of this church building that we've known and loved, and we are building a place that will support our mission in new and powerful ways. When we notice what is alive and beautiful through small, consistent observations, we get fresh instructions each time in regeneration and new inspiration for falling in love with life, which is so worthy of our love despite all the hardship. And in this springtime season of rebirth, 
May we be especially aware of the both and of living and dying, reminding us to hold multiple truths and honor multiple possibilities and trust in our own deeply embedded resilience. Keep looking. Keep beholding. Keep reverencing life even when it's feeling hard and stuck and impossible. New possibilities await. Amen. Uh, I so appreciate Elaine's message. Um, and I know that when we heard it this past week, it resonated with so many people. Just the ways in which this ambiguous loss that we're a part of needs to be named. We need to talk about it. We need to figure out ways to grieve. But we also need to find our ways to to move forward to see that just just as if, you know, we don't get over loss, but we can find new ways to live with it and that life is providing us opportunities. Bring our episode to a close, sharing with you one of my favorite poems from David White, the Irish contemplative contemporary poet. The poem is Everything is Waiting for You, and I think it really captures you know, the heart of what Elaine was sharing in her message captures that that sense of how we can orient towards life and also how it's easy for us to delude ourselves and not notice those those opportunities for us to see to see life anew especially as we go through this these periods of ambiguous loss so thanks for listening to this episode and this is David White's Everything is Waiting for You. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. As if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice? You must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentors of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you, and the tiny speaker in your phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and see the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. <laughs>